Right, let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 14, not Revelation 14. And uh, we'll be in Luke 15 for the most of our time this morning. But when we read the Bible, uh, we don't just want to pick up a random verse and start reading. We want to know what leads up to it. And so uh, we're actually going to take a wide-angle approach this morning at several stories that we're probably familiar with if you've been in church for any length of time. And if you've uh, this is your first time to church in a long time, like I said earlier, we're glad that you're here. And regardless if church is a part of your life or not, we probably all have experience with losing things. Can I get a witness? And uh, I actually, I actually looked up on Google uh, how to find lost things. And there's actually been pages upon pages upon pages that have been written. And actually one of the uh, endorsements, you could say, on how to find lost stuff is take a break and listen to music. Really? Like you lose something that's important, like your keys and you got to go to work. You you lose your phone and you need your phone and you're going to take a break. I praise God that what we're going to look at this morning is that when God begins to pursue us and he begins to work in our heart, he doesn't quit. Amen. And not only that, when we get that heart changed, not when we try to become better people, not when we try to go to church more and improve our lives, but when we come to the brick wall of I can't save myself and we kneel down and we give our lives to Christ and he changes us from the inside out, it is at that point that everything begins to change. And when everything changes in our heart, we become like the Lord and that we want to pursue people who are lost. So we've been in this series on evangelism, and evangelism, if you've been here with us, it's simply telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. The first week we learned that the reason why we do evangelism, the watershed reason, is for the glory of God. Yes, as we looked at last week, hell is real, and that's a compassion motivator, right? I mean, we love people, we don't want people to be sick today, and like we mentioned last week, that if people are sick, we ask them to stay home, right? So that they don't share the love. Some of y'all did not get that at all. You just help out your neighbor. And, and, and when, when, when we come to that place to where we say, Lord, I need you in my life. And not only that, I, I, I want to share your love. Because boy, when you get the love of God in your heart, and when we see where we were going without Christ, my goodness, it's like, wow, this is real. He's real, and he's made my heart brand new. I'm saved. I know he's alive. I may not know a million theological and philosophical terms, but I know this. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I know that. I know it. I may not be able to articulate it, but I know it. Then it's like we look at the world through different eyes. We begin to look at the Bible through different eyes and say, my goodness, I'm ready to share the love of Christ with everyone. I'm ready to warn my friends and my family that there is a place called hell, but I don't want to just show up at Thanksgiving dinner and they're like, would somebody like to pray? I'm like, oh, I'll pray. God, I pray that you would save my family, all of them that are going to hell, most of them at this table right now. Amen. Let's eat. Like, I don't want to be that person. Some of y'all don't even know that you're that person. Like, I, I want to be able to explain it. Like, how, how do I break it down? Like, how do, how do I actually go, like, we're, we're in the hunting stand, um, 
or, or, or the, the bass boat or the shopping mall or even Kroger, how do you go from like produce to Jesus? You know, it's like, so we're in the fruit aisle. You know that God will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, and they'll be like, you're what? Like, and then just punch you in the face. Like, how do, how do you, how do you make those transitions biblically to where you wouldn't put a wall up unnecessarily towards people? We come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to break that down for an entire message. But one thing that I'm convinced is that our lack of sharing the gospel, our absence of telling people about Christ, most of the time doesn't have to do with our lack of training or know-how, does it? If we can be honest in church, isn't that a weird place to be honest? Hello. Right? Like if we could be really be honest, it's that our hearts are not right with the Lord. And if our hearts are right with the Lord, we will seek those tools. We will seek out training. We'll be looking on YouTube, man, getting some Ray Comfort, how to share the gospel, how to evangelize. We'll be reading books. We'll be plugging into podcasts because our want or our heart is what leads us to what we really like. And so that's the reason why we've done three weeks on the heart to understand life is for the glory of God and there's hell and we don't want people to go there. And today, I just can't wait. We're going to talk about the joy of evangelism, the joy of sharing the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to go to Luke 14. Um, and this may be helpful for those of you that are new to the Bible. Um, the Bible is written in many different genres. Like, for example, you have poetry. Uh, that's the Psalms. You have history, which is the, the, the books of the law. You have apocalyptic. Isn't that cool? Uh, like with the book of Revelation. And you read those differently. And then you come to what's called historical narrative. In many cases in the book of Acts. And what you see is Jesus begins to set up argument after argument after argument. And Luke 14, if we could make it understandable to today's culture, it would almost be like watching a game of street basketball, watching a group of guys get dunked on over and over and over again by one guy. And everybody's like, oh, I mean, it's just people are gathering to watch the slaughter. Some of you have never seen a game of street basketball. Get out more. And everybody begins to watch. Because if you go back to Luke chapter 14, in the beginning of that chapter, the first six verses, it's on the Sabbath. And there's a guy there uh, who needs some healing. Jesus heals him of the dropsy. Here's what most of us would say. The guy was like crippled and Jesus comes along and he heals him and the guy's no longer crippled. That's awesome. Didn't happen for the Pharisees. They got angry. And then Jesus throws the smack down. He's like, which of you have like an ox that falls into a ditch and you're like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till after the Sabbath to pull you out. Nobody does that because the Sabbath was created for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then in verses 7 through 11, Jesus gives this, this parable about religious pride. And he says, man, you guys, you Pharisees, you religious people, you're all about showing up at the most important events. And you want to be at the most important seat at the table. And he says in verse number 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
So Jesus is cutting at the core of the pride. And then Jesus gives a parable about the parable of the great banquet. He says, you know, it's kind of like the kingdom of heaven. It's like God invited all these people, the Jews, and said, I want you to be saved. And I want you to bring the light of God to all the world. But yet they had better things to do. They had these lame excuses. Like there's this one guy who said, you know what? I've bought a pair of oxen. I need to go test them. Translation. I just bought a car. I need to go test drive it. That's like, that's like old school Jeff Foxworthy. Here's your sign. It's like you don't buy a car and then test drive it. And then you've got another crazy excuse. A guy says, well, I I just, I just got married. We'll bring her to the banquet. Some of you ladies like, well, I wish she'd take me somewhere. Sorry, guys. And by the way, I've got blackmail forever. On Thursday night, I've not laughed that hard. Some of our guys from Rocky Mount Baptist Church, it was kind of like a bachelor party uh, over at, at El Rodeo. Man, it was it was absolutely unreal. I was given gifts. I was like, really? And I mean, I know the waiter. He was looking at us from behind the bar like, did we put tequila? I know they didn't drink any alcohol. Like, what on earth? So anyway, if you see guys that are shaking right now, they were there. Let's go on. Another guy says, I bought a field, but I have to go look at it. Time out. That's like, okay, I bought a house. I got a, bought a piece of land, but I didn't see it. I, what? And you can just imagine the people that are gathering around like, dude, yeah, the guy who bought the oxen. What a moron, right? And then Jesus twists it. It's amazing how Jesus will like suck. I mean, it just draws people in with the truth. And then it's like, oh, wow, it's an engaging story. And then punch right in the face. Notice, he says, um, the master in verse 21, chapter 14, became angry with his servant about all. In other words, the servant came back and said, there's all these excuses. And he says, go out quickly. This is awesome. Here we go, Lee. Reach out. Wednesday night, last one of the month. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Oh, goodness. Jesus says, you know what? If the ones that didn't get the first invitation, if they didn't want to come, then we're going to go to everywhere in the world. And that's our mission as followers of Jesus Christ. We get the joy of taking the gospel into the world. And Jesus begins to make it even more pointed. In verses 25 all the way through verse 23 and verse, excuse me, verse 33, Jesus sums it up. Discipleship. He says, so therefore, if any one of you does not, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus begins with a call For all to come to be saved. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, in the first century or on a Sunday morning, in the latter part of November in Rocky Mount, Virginia, year 2014, you've come. God has awakened your heart. You have desires now that you've never had. And you're contemplating, you're thinking about, you're praying about committing your life to Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, sign the card really quick before you change your mind. He says, just before you commit, understand that committing to Christ is something that involves all the mind, the will, and the emotions to where everything in our life, yes, even financially, is pointed towards bringing the gospel to people who don't have it and glorifying God. See, now, Jeff, why does it seem like Jesus continually in the Gospels pounds away at these religious people with these hardcore sayings that are actually very offensive even today? Like, people may look at you strange, but if you look at somebody like you brood of nasty snakes, like, you try that at the mall. 
Right? Like, I mean, that's, that's offensive even today. In the Jewish mind, it was even more so. See, why does Jesus, why does he have such a taser shock method? It's because Jesus loves religious people and he wants them to be saved just like, please hear me, just like people that are strung out in the gutter. Natalie, can we throw that picture up on the screen? This is a week and a half ago over here in the Rocky Mount Baptist Church, Fellowship Hall as we call it. And these are the trustees of the Franklin County Jail. And praise God for everyone that it was involved. So many of you were involved in so many aspects of this. We were able to feed them a Thanksgiving meal. And if you've done time or if you've talked people, talked to people who have done time, sometimes there seems to be a disconnect in their mind about, will people accept me if I actually go to church? Do people even want me? Can the Lord change my life. And praise God, the gospel was shared. And these men, there's even one that I talked to for a while afterwards, and he, he's a Muslim. Like in Franklin County, yes, sir. He's a Muslim. Talked to him about Jesus being more than a prophet. Now, when Jesus, and we're going to break this down as we get into chapter 15, when he says that there is joy when one sinner repents, there is joy among the angels, there is the joy from God the Father. But those of you that were able to be involved with this, were you not pumped out of your mind? I mean, was it? I mean, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to be a drug dealer, but if you could put that stuff in pills form and sell it. All the people that work in that area around our county are getting it. Some of you don't. If you could actually sell that stuff, you could finance mission trips until infinity. When you leave and you've been able to see the gospel and come to some of these guys that society said, you know what, we don't need you anymore. And we say, you know what, Jesus loves you. And we want you and your family here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. In fact, I heard through the grapevine that some of these men even invited their families. And their families have been coming to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Praise God. Amen. Because that's what it's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. When Jesus says, you know what? I've invited the, the Jews, but they reject me. But so let's go to all the highways and the byways and the hedges. And guess what? For those of you that may be money minded and God has blessed us so we've been able to do more ministry. When you begin to meet a need in the county, in the culture, in the community, people in the community say, wow, that's something that I'll give to. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that men will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, we don't want the glory. We want to give the glory to Jesus. And we, man, we can take that credit and those accolades and those, those compliments and we can hand those off to other people. But one thing that Jesus gives us when you get plugged into a gospel preaching church, he gives you joy, joy, joy. If you know any ladies or girls who are named charis, that's the New Testament word, Greek word for, for, for joy. And, and it means just an overflowing of happiness. It means something that's not dependent upon circumstances. So by this time, Jesus laying it on thick. Verse 15, it begins. Verse 1, notice what had happened when he spoke the truth and he called out religious people. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, a.k.a. the first century party crowd, were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So you've got Jesus 
Probably a good personal evangelist. Can we agree on that? Right? Like if you're hanging out with Jesus, like you can be out past your curfew. It's like, be home by nine. I'm with Jesus whenever. So, so they're with Jesus. These people that were not a part of the religious establishment in any way. And then they're gathering to Jesus. They were drawing near to him. Question, why? He spoke the truth about everyone. But have you ever thought, right, let's just, let's just go back here. If you've been saved for a while and you've been in church for a while. Before you got saved, or maybe you had a period of rebellion, you were not, you were not involved in church, didn't read the word, didn't give a cent, like missionaries would have starved to death if they would have been, uh, supporting on you. Like, if they would have been dependent upon that alone. And then, the way that we view the Bible, it's like, dude, if I pick up that book, and I got, I got the heavy duty version today, man, this is like, this is 45 hollow points right here. I mean, it's like, if I just pick up the Bible, all I'm gonna do is just, you can just tell me how guilty I am. Right? Isn't that the way it works? Even more so, bro, if I go to church, like, uh, like you lose money when you go to church. Money people, y'all alright? Like that's the way that our minds were tracking before Jesus changed our heart. And not only that, man, like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. I mean, why would I want that? So here's the question, why were sinners, and Jesus obviously preached against sin, why were sinners attracted to Jesus? Here's the main reason, because all of us, regardless of how wrong we have lived, regardless of what we were involved in this week, we always have a respect for the truth, even when we know it hits a square between the eyes. And Jesus, better than me or any of us collectively, could say to people in so many words, you're wrong, but I love you. And there's also something to be said for Jesus' people skills. And we'll get into this here in a couple of weeks. But if you're a Christ follower, you need to develop people skills. Can I get an amen? amen? If we love Jesus, if you're more of a quiet person, you need to develop the skills to be able to talk to somebody about Jesus. If you're, this may be getting into uh, toe-stepping territory. If you're a person who cannot shut up for the glory of God, Learn how to clamp it. Because it very well could be that people are avoiding you because every time they see you, they're like 45 minutes of me, mine, and myself. Because that's all that you do is talk about yourself. Guess what? It's freeing to talk to other people about their issues in life. Ask people questions about them because they will love you for it and it opens the door for you to be able to share Jesus with them. So number one, if we're so insecure that we never talk, we can't talk about Jesus. But if we can, it's just kind of like we're standing back watching ourselves having an out-of-body experience like, wow, I can talk. For the glory of God, learn to cut it off. We okay? Some of y'all are married to a talker and you say, I'm not moving because he or she will be all over me and they'll tell me about it. And they'll tell me about it and then they'll tell me about it some more. These people knew that Jesus spoke the truth. They knew that they were apart from God and they knew, we all know intuitively, even though our hearts are dead towards God, we all have a conscience, Romans chapter 2. We all have the law of God written on our heart. And even if you're here today and you say, Jeff, I cannot break these addictions and these chains in my life, we know that we need Jesus. You see, that's the point. Sinners were coming to him. That may be with some of you, you've not had desire for the Bible or for Christ for many years, but in the recent weeks, days, and months, He has given you desires that you've never had.
before. Isn't it a cool thing? Sinners are attracted to Jesus. Not for the Pharisees. They got mad. Look, look, look at it again. It says that they were all drawing near to him. And then the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Isn't that kind of the point of the gospel? Right? That we tell people, I don't agree with this, but I love you regardless. So then Jesus tells these three stories that sometimes in Bible teaching we take one at a time. But today we're going to look at how they're given. Number one, in verses <clears throat> verses 3 through 7, Jesus tells the parable about a lost sheep. The next story he tells, it's about a lost coin. The next story that brings it to its apex, the story is a story of a lost son. Some of us know about this first parable here. He says, what if you had a shepherd, had a hundred sheep, 99 are safe in the fold, but one's out there. You go for the one that's lost. Notice that the shepherd did not quit. He continued and continued and continued until, verse 4, until he finds it. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Oh, this is awesome. And this is, this is so cool. In verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. In the original language, this is an imperative. It's a command. It's kind of like he gathers everybody together. This is so awesomely awkward and beautiful at the same time. And he commands them, be excited with me. It's kind of like when people come over to my house when I was growing up, like you were going to eat. Mom, while she's putting food on your plate, would say, would you like some mashed potatoes? Like even if you weren't hungry, hungry, you would eat. It's like this will happen. Here's the thing. The shepherd's so pumped about the one sheep. He's commanding all of his friends and family. Guys, get excited about this together with me. I mean, you think about this. This is, this is in your outline Finding lost, and Jesus is logical, it's so awesome. Finding lost animals brings joy. Farm animals, or a pet. How much more when a lost person is found? And then in verse number 7, Jesus gives a twist. Notice, just so I tell you that there will be more joy, here's the word, Joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's why we said if repentance brings joy in heaven, how much more on earth? Can you imagine being in heaven right now? Man, it's like no, no sickness, no doctor's visits, no IRS, no mosquitoes, no drama. Come on. Some of y'all, that'll be like, praise the Lord, all the drama's finished. I mean, all of those things, and all, like the C.S. Lewis says, the true vacation is his begun, and, and, and everything is past. It's all new. It's all new. And you're there. And then it's like, oh, by the way, so-and-so got saved. And you're like, man, that's awesome, but it's already kind of awesome. Right? Like, heaven's awesome, so it got a little bit more awesomer. But Earth? There's economic recessions. There's illnesses that none of us have foreseen that happen to us, our spouse, mom and dad, the children. We can sometimes be threatened with job loss. There are people that are in our life that seem to hate us. 
There are addictions that we and our loved ones may be dealing with. And life is absolutely hard. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future, which is probably a good thing. And so it's like, if heaven being that great, it brings joy in heaven. The threshold is already so high. How much more in this dark, sick, twisted, sinful world does just the stale air of drudgery every day, how that's just blown away when the bright sunshine of somebody repents and truly gets saved. It's even more beautiful here. The word for joy, according to one lexicon, says that it can be expressed as, quote, my heart is dancing or my heart shouts because I'm happy. You see, some of us, we get excited about football. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Mark Sweeney and I are still recovering uh, emotionally from the Cowboys' loss in the Redskins game. And I had the, a lot of people over to the house, and I had, I had boxes of Kleenex stacked seven high. Redskins equipment for when the Cowboys were going to beat the Redskins, right? Uh-uh. <clears throat> And I mean, I, I had such a good time. Every time we'd make a first down, I'd walk across the room, across everybody, and I'd give Big Mike Deems a high five and go, booyah, and then go back and sit down over here. And then I noticed Josh Smallwood's a monster. I was like, I walked past Josh. He's a Redskins fan. Maybe I shouldn't do that. And then finally, when the Redskins won, a very quiet man who happens to play the djembe got down, squatted down. I was laying on the ground, and it's going, woo, 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 for like 15, 20 seconds, about this far from my face. We don't want to say any names, Jonathan Sweat, but I was like, the man, the man is excited. There is joy. And then some of us, we get excited about finding stuff on sale or, or that next vacation. Like, oh man, I've been working and working and working and working. And I'll get a little bit of a break. But boy, all of those things we can get joy from in a certain sense, like circumstantial happiness. Or it's just like Charles Barkley. I heard this when I was like 10 years old. It's one of those things you never forget. He says, when you win... Those of you that are involved in sports, you feel good for 10 minutes. When you lose, you feel bad for a week. Once all of the excitement is gone and the new becomes regular and the regular becomes old, joy is nowhere to be found. But the joy of sharing Jesus with people is something that when most of us go do it, we're dragging our feet, our heart is beating out of our chest, we're, we're, we're trying to find what is lost, but boy, when we return, even if the people didn't get saved, we know that saving people is not something that we do, it's something that God does. And there is joy unspeakable. Whether you're involved in getting the gospel to some of these inmates that they know, guess what? Jesus can change me. And not only that, man... I, all of you that have been involved in this Operation Christmas Child, I mean, Rocky Mount Baptist Church is the regional collection center for these thousands of boxes. They're going to go all over the third world and they're going to take the gospel to these precious little children that otherwise wouldn't be able to have a gift for Christmas. And praise God, Sue, for your leadership and everybody who's been involved. Do you realize the joy of being involved in something bigger than yourself? You see, some of you, you will never be non-cantankerous. You'll never not be in a bad mood because everything has to be about you. This church, this music, the preaching style, the carpet, guess what? It's not. And I praise God it's not about me. 
Jesus says that the shepherd pursued and found the sheep. And when he did, there was unrivaled joy. And then he gives a story about a lady who had some silver coins there in verse number 8. And these coins, one she couldn't find. She got a lamp. She began to search diligently until she found it. And when she found it, she called together her family and her friends and her neighbors And in verse 9, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Notice Jesus' logical progression. A sheep is valuable. A coin, oh yeah, silver, more. And then he tells the story of the prodigal son. Son was raised in obviously a godly home. It would be the equivalent of us having a child, son that was raised with good mom and dad. And then at, I don't know, Thanksgiving dinner time, it's the way Stephen Smith breaks it down for us to understand it today. He said it would be like standing up during Thanksgiving dinner and saying, Dad, I don't really care if you live or die. In fact, all I want is my inheritance. Give me my inheritance, flipping the dad and the whole family the bird, and then walking out. What would most dads do? Not what this dad did. Very graciously, he gives the son the inheritance. It'd be like going down to Cancun, getting a penthouse, partying it up, and then he finally runs out of money, makes the trip back north. I love how Dr. Smith breaks it down. He says it's like he's trying to come back north, no money, no nothing. And he stops in a nasty truck stop and says, I I need something to eat. And they said, well, we can get you to clean the toilets, and then we can give you a meal for that. And as he begins to hug this This toilet that has been very, very unkept. He looks over and he sees a half-eaten old cheeseburger in the trash can. And it seems like to him he has to have it or he's going to starve to death. In Jesus' story, it was a young Jewish boy, or I guess we could say a teenager, a young person. And he was going to have to eat what the pigs ate. For a Jew, we don't even, as Americans, we don't even have that category of nasty. And when he looks down in that nasty trash can, he says, you know what, I need to return home. I've been wrong. And he prepares this speech, you know, there in verse number 17. But when he came to himself, some of you, God may be doing a work till you finally came to yourself. Isn't that good? It's like you wake up. Oh, I'm a sinner. Jesus died. Oh, that means me. Like Jesus can save me. And you come to yourself. He wakes you up and all of it. Notice verse 17. He came to himself and he said, How many of my father's servants have had more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And then he begins to recite his speech. I will go to my father's house and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He had this broken, contrite, humble speech that he was going to give. But when he comes in verse 18, the father noticed that it was him and the father began to run. Isn't that good news? Come on, Rocky Mount Baptist. He didn't get to say his speech because the father, in that day, Jewish men didn't run. You would never see a Jewish man running because, except for it was a case of battle because it was something that they considered undignified. But he runs to his son. And he embraces him and he brings him back in. Jesus is saying that the younger son represents those who are far from God. But when they come to themselves, when God awakens their hearts and they say, I will return. I'm going to go to church. 
And I'm going to sit through that sermon. And when the invitation is given, as we'll give one here in just a few minutes, I'm going to walk down that aisle. And I'm saying, you know what? I know that doesn't save me. But I'm going to say before God and for everybody, I'm ready to live for Jesus. It's a new day. I'm ready to be baptized but in the name of Christ. I'm ready to live my life for Jesus. Guess what? The fact that you got to that point, it means that God was working on you a long time before you ever realized that he was. See, Jeff, what's, what's the takeaway for us who are saved? Number one, Jesus' evangelism actually included spending time with people. So every single one of us needs to have at least one lost, unsaved person that we are personally spending time with, with a gospel-centered aim. If your thing is guns, do guns for the glory of God. If your thing is shopping, do shopping for the glory of God. If it's knitting or quilting or basketball or hockey or figure skating, do it for the glory of God. That the people that you're doing those activities with, you're there so that you can get to know them, so that you can share the gospel. One thing that should never, ever escape a Christian's mouth is I don't have any friends. If you are a follower of Christ, you should allow Christ to so change your heart that people cannot resist being around you. Because people are attracted to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. People like being around someone who has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. People want to be around someone like that. So if no one wants to be around you and you're a follower of Christ, you may need to get with the Lord and ask Him to do a work of repentance in your heart. Because every single Christian, Christ follower, should reach out to people because that's what Christ did for us. And then secondly, if you're a Christ follower... Um, and you say, Jeff, I, I, I don't, I don't have, uh, it seems like that ability to connect with people. The Bible tells us in James chapter one, that if we lack wisdom, let us ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. That means if you say, God, I want to reach my friends. There is inexhaustible joy. I'm ready for that. Ask God to give you what you need. And he will. And just looking over this morning, I know we got a lot of folks out of town, but man, just seeing some of you guys. Like, I remember when we first talked, and I remember and when your friend invited you here. We've had co-workers and friends and, and, and in-laws and outlaws invite people to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And guess what? There was a time that you were lost, but now you're saved. And we could go down the list. And now, guess what? It's so awesome because you're bringing your friends and your family to hear the gospel. And you're filled with joy. And some of us, we stop so short. We stop at the joy of football. We stop at the joy of working out. We stop there. And our joys, our, our excitement, our fuel for life is so low. God is calling us at Rocky Mount Baptist Church to commit to share the gospel. If we can go old school, the old school term called a soul winner. The Lord's the one who wins people to himself. But some of you, I just see so many great things in your life because the way that you love people, you love them. You're, you're reaching out to them. When you see them at the harvester center and when you see them at family gatherings and you're looking for a way to get Jesus in there, you're looking for a way to get them to come so they can hear the uninterrupted gospel for at least 30 or 45 or 55 or an hour and 50 minutes. 
Because at least the cell phone is silent for that long. And what we're going to do this morning is going to be very simple. Number one, if you've never given your life to Christ, we're going to give you an, an opportunity to do that. Secondly, if you know that you are ready to live for Jesus Christ, we're going to stand and sing here in just a few moments. We're going to ask you to get up out of your seat wherever you are in this room and walk forward. And by doing that, you're saying, you know what? I'm ready to follow Christ. I'm ready to set up a time to be baptized. And for the rest of us that may be saved, but we look back over the last four, six months, a year, and we've not told anybody about Jesus. There's a word in the Bible and it's called repentance. We repent of having priorities that are not where they should be. We repent for having the fear of people and not the fear of God. And we come before the merciful throne of Jesus saying, Jesus, I don't know how to share the gospel. But this morning, I'm asking you to create in me a heart that is willing to learn.